0: so grateful for that time of worship. The last two hymns that we sang were hymns of just exalting and praising the name of the living God, Jehovah. We started off the song service that way back almost an hour ago now in our uh, prayer time. And it's important to remember um, some of the components of what we're doing when we gather. Uh, Not only are we ourselves bringing hearts and words of worship before the Lord, but um something else that we probably don't think about enough is that we are uh, we are the light of the world, not in ourselves, but through the light of Christ in us. And as the light of the world, we have a message to speak to the world. We have a message to speak to the forces of darkness, to the reality of darkness around us. And so we sang Psalm 148. And part of that is lifting up our own voice to proclaim the name of Jehovah, but we're also saying, we're saying this message, we should say this message collectively, uh, together, we should sing it quietly and loudly as is that, is that song crescendos, we're saying to kings, and to all those who are in authority, and to aged men, and to aged women, and to young children, that everyone should praise the name of Jehovah, for this is true, his name alone is high. And his glory, whether we like it or not, his glory is exalted above heaven and earth. And so that's the responsibility that we have as the children of God to proclaim to all men that the name of Jehovah is the one who should be praised. And so may we do that. It's a joy to do that, isn't it? It's not, a, it's not an angry, defiant cry, but it's a joyful cry that Jehovah reigns and all men should bow before him. And as, Romans, uh, as Acts was preached in Acts 17, that the time of this ignorance God formerly winked at, but now uh, the sun has come the Son of Righteousness, who arises with healing in His wings. And He has come, and He has manifested His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then He has died, but then He has has risen from the dead. So the time of this ignorance, God is no longer winking at, but He commands all men everywhere to repent, to acknowledge, uh, as Psalm 2 says, to kiss the Son, the one who reigns. Praise the Lord that Jesus Christ reigns over all this morning. Let us proclaim that with joy. Let us live that in hope. Brother Jarrett, would you pray for us?
1: <clears throat> Gracious Father, we are <clears throat> coming before you this morning, acknowledging that you are uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, it is uh, that is a, a confession that is coming from our lips. And it is coming from sinful lips, Lord. We acknowledge also that we are sinners, that we have sinned this morning. We've, dare I say, likely sinned even during the church service. Lord, our thoughts are uh, hard to contain, but we would ask for your spirit in our hearts this morning to help us to focus on uh, the preached word this morning that we hear, that we'd be able to focus on the reading of the word. And as Brother Isaac has already encouraged us to um, be able to keep this praise on our lips and to share it with the whole world, the truth that is um, is in Jesus Christ, that we do serve a risen Savior, uh, he's in the world today. Lord, we <clears throat> would just ask that your spirit be in our presence as a congregation, soften our hearts, open our ears, Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Proverbs 31, verse 30
0: says, Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I'm sitting back before the service, and was just sort of thinking in a bemused way of all the messages that I feel least qualified to preach. It really is something to preach on that, one of those messages twice. I'm not sure how we got there. But we are looking, and hopefully today and the next Sunday, and then we'll close this out. We're looking at that passage in Genesis 1, verse 27, where it says that God made man in His image. In the image of God created He them, male and female created He them. And we're thinking about what that means. What does it mean to be feminine? What does it mean to be female? So just a recap of the last message. We've talked about how that God is a God of beauty. God has made a beautiful world. And God is working in this world, in this sin-cursed world, as Ecclesiastes says, that He will make all things beautiful in His time. And the glory of God's work in creation, the, the crowning glory is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Redeemer, the one who takes that which is ashes and returns it to a beautiful state. He crowns beauty for ashes, we read. The oil of joy from mourning, the garment of praise for the, uh, for, for the, for the, for the heaviness. And so we see that God, not only in His creative work, but also more prominently in His redemptive work, is a God who is beautifying His creation. Praise the Lord. We look forward to a new heavens and a new earth wherein will dwell righteousness where there is no curse, there is no sorrow, there is no, um, there is no marring that comes about because of the bleakness of sin. But God loves beauty. God is a beautiful God. God created beauty. God gets pleasure from beauty, beauty that we can see, beauty that we can't see in his creation. Beauty, God sees that beauty reflects his own glory, his own beauty, and so he is so invested in creating this beauty that he he, he truly made an image bearer, the female, that one of the primary traits of being female is of her beauty. That there is a, 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 the fairness of the maiden, the fairness of the female uh, being. And So we, 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 we love that. We glory in that. Um, but as Proverbs would say to us, uh, in fact, the, the mother of this King Lemuel here, she would say, uh, be sure, Lemuel, you understand this well. Understand that, yes, beauty is a wonderful, thi- a wonderful reality, a wonderful trait. But, she says, beware, be careful that you don't only understand beauty in its outward appearance, its outward expression. Be sure that you understand that beauty is much deeper and much more meaningful than just its outward reflection. True beauty is seen, according to Lemuel's mother, and according to Scripture, true beauty is seen from a spiritual level. The word that is used here is virtue. Virtue, something that is within. Virtue is this spiritual inward expression. It's not just external. It's not just outward. But it's something that God gives. Only God can give true virtue. And virtue is far surpassing that which is on the outside. In fact, that which is on the outside is meaningless and even just, just uh, reflects the reality of sin unless it's accompanied with virtue. So virtue is moral excellence. And virtue is self-sacrifice. And virtue is kindness. And virtue is grace. And virtue is um, love. Love that is expressed in the love of God towards us. So true virtue comes from a truly virtuous God, a God of self-sacrifice, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of kindness, a God who gives and gives and gives and gives. And so we find a different definition of beauty than just that which is on the outside in the pages of Scripture. And certainly, we have all seen that expressed in wonderful ways in our homes, in our churches. I was just reflecting last week. Rachel took a quick trip last week to Texas to help kind of go through some of her mother's things uh, from her mother's passing several years ago. And, and I've observed this many times. We, we survived. We ate. Laundry was done in some sort and fashion. Um, we're still here. And that's about it. Okay? It's true. It's true. That's about it. There there is a true something, a a real something that that is missing from our home that is only is only brought in with what I'll just say was the feminine beauty that is, yes, external. I love my wife, I love how she looks, but much, 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 much deeper than that is brought out through her actions, her being, who she is, what she says, what she does. And this is what Solomon, or, or Proverbs, is talking about in Proverbs 31, verse 30, when it says, yes, favor is, 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 is true, it is, it's wonderful, but it's, it can be deceitful. And beauty is real, but it can be vain. It can be meaningless. But, but someone who fears the Lord. So again, virtue is not something we can learn on our own, but it is something that God gives, and then we, uh, we add it to, uh, to, what, to what God has brought in us in faith. A woman that fears the Lord She shall be praised. So, again, I feel completely um, inadequate to preach this message, but I also feel compelled to preach this message because this is a a, a very um, tricky subject in a post-fall world, isn't it? In fact, so tricky that we're going to return to it a second time. Um, Because we talked about the design and what God has wrought when he wrought beauty and femininity uh, last time but we didn't really talk about the fall and how the fall has complicated, how the fall has uh, wrought such pain and such trouble in this subject, affecting it so drastically. So it follows, it makes sense, that if God loves beauty, then Satan must be seeking to distract, uh, to muddy up the waters. If God says that beauty is, is yes, external, but more than that, then Satan must then uh, seek to distract from, what, from where God focuses. He would seek to distract your minds and your hearts from where God would have you focus your mind and your heart and your pursuits. He wants to ugly things up. And so, you know, the Bible, it follows that track. Many, 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 we won't go through these today, but many of the stories in the Bible that link femininity and beauty... Just have are just tragic in nature. Stories like the story of uh, Tamar, no fault of her own. Stories like Sarah's beauty. Stories like Esther and how she became the queen. Stories like Bathsheba. Stories like Gomer, and then multitude of stories throughout the book of Proverbs. Not surprisingly, Satan's focus is on the scene on the external, on the physical. And we our, our reality corresponds to that, doesn't it? We are inundated from the very first moments of life. We are inundated with opinions and comments and advertisements to, directed towards women about beauty. We are driving back yesterday from St. Louis. We were there for a couple of days. And we're just driving. I, I, we're not, I'm not thinking about this necessarily. I'm kind of turning my mind towards the summer this morning, but but not in an intentional way. We're just driving. And there must be a very good and very prominent uh, plastic surgeon in St. Louis because his 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 picture is posted all over the billboards. And then we stop for food. And Rachel wanted Five Guys. We pull up in the strip mall where Five Guys was, and I saw I saw a Jimmy John's. I said, well, I want Jimmy John's. And so I said, so watch she went to Five Guys. I walked to Jimmy John's. I got my sandwich. And as I'm walking back you know, through this strip, th- th- this little strip mall, I'm just walking to, to Five Guys, and, and, and uh, there's a door there. I look is, is this Five Guys? No. This was a, a, uh, an eyebrow threader place. And so I just stopped for a minute and just kind of read through it. And I thought, you know, I've got some pretty prominent eyebrows. And, and, um, and it talked about how the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, threading is less painful, lasts longer. I, I didn't stop longer than that. You guys can discuss that at lunch. Um, then I went past that place, and I, was, I thought I was at Five Guys. And I started to go in the door. It wasn't Five Guys. It was a nail place. And I thought, well, could get my nails done. It would look, it would look attractive for the Sunday morning message. Um, but you understand what I'm saying, right? We're inundated everywhere with this is beautiful. You should do this. This is where beauty is found. And then as the drive continued, there was more, more billboards. As it turned to night, driving through the rural Arkansas, there's these big red flashing X's saying, Come here, come here, you'll find beauty here. You know how this goes. Satan wants us to be consumed with the external. To have our minds and our hearts drawn towards that which is on the outside, have our full and complete focus there. We are told how to maintain beauty, how it can be wielded for greater goals. Women's worth is often, in some way, reduced to just what is young and what is thin and whatever the culture says is beautiful today. And so I am... Um, even though I feel unqualified to preach this, I am, my heart is filled with both love and longing for all of us, from the oldest to the youngest, whether male or female, to both understand and communicate. So, in other words, this is a message to all of us. It's focused on females, of course. But we all have a part to play in this. What we communicate, what we value, what we encourage, where our eyes and our minds and our hearts are turned. This is a very important message, a very important uh, reality, in especially in the age that we're living in today. But it's always been like this, hasn't it? Women and beauty has always been a massively important topic throughout the ages. I did a little bit of Googling. I mentioned this last time. Let me just point out a few things through the ages. And you may know more about this than I do. In fact, you probably do know more about this than I do. But in ancient Greece, in ancient Greece, beauty in women was the idea that there was a perfect symmetry to the face, which meant that the unibrow was considered to be perfect symmetry. That tells me that tweezers are a more modern invention. But think about that for a moment. That's a very different, different idea today, isn't it? Then we mentioned this last time, what's called the golden ratio, this divine proportion. What is divinity really set out to be beautiful and lovely and becoming and attractive? So this is an idea that really, uh, beauty can be reduced to a, to a math problem, a ratio. The ratio is... Uh, 1 to one one, uh, 1.618, I think that's what it is. Maybe off a little bit, but 1 to 1.618. So the idea is is that from the top of the nose to the center of the lips should be 1.618 times longer than the center of the lips to the bottom of the chin. So, so young ladies... Um, this is your pastor's permission that if a young man comes up to you with a protractor in his hands and he says, hold still for a moment, you have my permission to slug him in the nose as hard as you want to. <laughs> okay? Medieval Japan. It's, the beauty was considered the teeth to be dyed black. Imagine that. And all of the eyebrows not, not a unibrow, but all the eyebrows to be plucked. And then a new eyebrow drawn in at a much higher place close to the hairline. For me, that would be pretty high, wouldn't it? <laughs> Renaissance women preferred a receding hairline. So much that shaved hairlines, tweezered hairlines, even treatments that would take off the hair but unfortunately would also take off the skin oftentimes were used Elizabethan England pale skin was valued so much that ammonia and sometimes even arsenic were used to make the the skin pale enough to be beautiful now I would say this if you use enough arsenic it will be pale enough for sure right (laughs) I just throw this out there just to show that, that through the years, this is not this is not a new topic, is it? This is not a new challenge. But whatever the transition is to today, uh, this should at least tell us two things. One, there is a deep longing. There's a deep longing to be seen as beautiful. Okay? And then something else we should see from this, that something is terribly wrong. Okay? So when you're taking arsenic to be beautiful, something is terribly wrong. When you're dyeing your teeth black, something is terribly wrong. When you're just a math problem, something is terribly wrong. And so I want to think this morning for a little while about some categories of beauty gone wrong in our thinking. Maybe these will apply to you, maybe they won't. But I suspect that many of these will apply to many. And I would just say this at the beginning again, a word to to, to men, a word to all of us that are men, that are male. We have talked about this previously in the series on men, but God has called us to be leaders, to be leaders, And as leaders, we have before us a real opportunity here and a real calling to lead in a way that communicates clearly that we value highly what God values. And that our task as leaders... Is to free those under our care from being constrained and and um, in bondage to what a lying, devilish, dark culture would present to our women as being light, and that includes what we communicate of what we value, but it also includes what we pursue. Because we can say whatever we want to say. And we can speak God's truth, but if we are pursuing in our habits, and those whom we pursue, if we are pursuing only that which the world says, and our current culture is attractive and beautiful, if the way that we interact with women if we are impure in our thoughts, that will every single time be much more persuasive as what we actually think and lead in a wrong direction. So as fathers, as young men, as husbands, as, as leaders, let us be firm and resolute and consistent in our communication of valuing what God values. And may we give clear communication to the ladies that God has given us to have leadership over, so I want to just break these categories down sort of into two, two different, different different categories different thoughts one of those is is just image. think about beauty gone wrong in terms of image of self image and then beauty gone wrong and how beauty is expressed okay so image and then expression, and how the fall and satan 's lies have contributed to some wrong thinking. About image and some wrong thinking in the way we express beauty in our, in our lives and our pursuits and who we are and what we do. So let's think first of all about, about image. Andre Agassi said a long time ago in his Nike advertisements that image is everything. I'm not sure he meant what uh, I'm not sure he meant what I've, 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 I'm saying this morning, but image truly is everything in many ways. What, how we view ourselves determines what we pursue. How we view ourselves is of utmost importance. And that is why I have probably said to, you're sick of hearing it, I've said over and over and over again through these messages, remember that we are as human beings at our very essence, the most basic part of who we are, we are image bearers. Please let that truth dig deeply into what you, how you view and how you see yourself at the very base level. Every single one of us as human beings are image, are, are, are image bearers of a great and glorious God. So the most important part of who we are is how we reflect the glory and the goodness and the love and the mercy and the kindness of our great God. We are not autonomous beings. But we are created for His glory, made on purpose, made uh, fearfully and wonderfully by a wise God for His glory. So if we only view ourselves in terms of ourselves, especially in terms of our just our physical external makeup, we will come woefully short of understanding who we are. But an obsession with self obsession with self and a self that is removed from just the, the, the reality of being an image bearer can lead to some very, very dark and bad places. So we are both image bearers in identity and we are image bearers in calling. Let me go through three just sort of categories of image of how the fall has marred this idea of beauty. The first one is this, very simple. It's this idea. It's the idea that I have no beauty. So, therefore, I have little worth. I have no beauty, therefore, I have little worth. This is the person that believes that, well, I am the Leah, and everybody else is the Rachel. Remember that? Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was, had favor and was beautiful. I am the Leah... And everybody else is the Rachel. By the way, we tend to view all these things in extremes. I'm the Leah. I'm the ugly duckling. I hate my body. I hate my appearance. So therefore, I don't measure up. This is joined with a great degree of self-loathing. And by the way, I believe that, that, that this... Reality or this 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 uh, this thought is at the root of much much of the gender confusion that we see in our world today okay i 'm so society and culture has 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 created whatever the modern view is of what is beautiful, I am not that, and beauty is so important that therefore, if I am not what. Should be what I should be, or what I want to be, that I am nothing. So maybe I can find some worth in some extreme and drastic change of who I am because who I am just doesn't get it. Friends, we're not talking hypotheticals here, are we? Social settings terrify, can be extremely. Painful. I look terrible in this outfit. I dread people seeing me. Oh, she looks so beautiful, so wonderful. I look awful. Let me just sort of hide myself away. And by the way, oftentimes this is expressed through just undue flattery. I think one of the great, let me, young ladies, let me tell you this. I think one of the great um, temptations to avoid, especially on social media, is, is, um, is um, this ridiculous flattery that is put in all the comments on every picture. Oh, girl, you look so, so beautiful. What you're really saying is, please tell me I look look worthy too. Maybe you're not saying that, but that's what it comes across as to me. Please be careful of that. This undo, over-the-top notice of the external At the same time though, oftentimes this individual is marked by envy and criticism towards others, at least deep inside. Resentment tends to mark your thoughts towards yourself, but ultimately that resentment goes toward God. Uh, Why couldn't I have been born with whatever the measure in your mind is of what true beauty is. So resentment towards yourself, resentment towards ultimately towards God. And sometimes with this, people can even reject health and health care because they just give up. I don't measure up to what I should look like, so I am worthless. So just a general cynicism towards life tends to mark this individual. Again, I said it, I'm not, I don't feel qualified to preach this message, but I don't think I'm too far from the truth of where some people find them, themselves in their thoughts about themselves because of that which is external. The second category of, of image. I am not beautiful, but if I work hard enough, maybe I can become beautiful. Beautiful. And I must. That's really the key phrase at the end. And I must. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I should be. But if I work hard enough, maybe I can get there. And I've got to. This is a standard for beauty that you have within that's always just beyond your grasp. And I mean always. It's there I can almost get there, but I'm not there. So this quest for beauty begins to define your very life. Your life, your thoughts, if you're truly honest and stop for a minute, is your thoughts about yourself are marked, tattooed across you, is discontentment. I am not content. Because I have an obsession. And that obsession is, I must get to this standard I cannot get to. That's that's, that's a very difficult thing, isn't it? Oftentimes, things like this happen. Food, which God has designed for both your nourishment and joy, becomes a conflicted and hated relationship. Let me say it again. Food, which God has designed for all of our nourishment and joy, becomes a dreaded and hated relationship. Oftentimes, exercise, which God has designed for our good but has limited profit, becomes a an obsession that goes far beyond what God has designed it to be. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Here's another one. Oftentimes, your life is marked by constant comparison. Constant comparison, which is usually self-critical, with other women that God has designed for you to be in a mutually beneficial relationship with. So that which is God has designed for benefit, to be able to love one another and to bless one another and to encourage one another, but your thoughts are instead usually marked by competition or comparison, not competition, more like comparison with the other, and that comparison is usually self-critical. Let, let me address this from the Scriptures. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 10 just for a moment. And I want to stop here and address this because I I, I believe this is my observation is is not comprehensive. Not every woman is here, but this is a a uh, one of those sins that have easily beset for for women. Now in this passage, this is actually Paul talking. He's not a woman, but Paul is talking about his coming to the Corinthians, and really of. Here's what was happening. Paul is coming to them with this message, an important message, but he's hindered in coming to them with this message because they are saying, well, Paul, you're not very impressive looking. Um, When you speak, maybe you stutter, or when you speak, maybe you talk too fast, or maybe you stumble to find your words, but he's not impressive in his his speech. And, And Paul is saying to them, he said, listen, I cannot afford to let that reality, the reality that I am not going to be, I'm not going to measure up to what you think should be measured up. I'm not going to let that reality stop me because what I've got to say is too important, is too needful for you. So he says these very helpful things. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter ten. Let me just read it starting in uh, in verse in verse uh, ten. Oh, well, let me start in verse verse eight. Um, how about verse 7? Let's just go there. <laughs> Sorry. Do ye look on things, this is talking about what I just, I just outlined, do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. That's an important truth, isn't it? So, so you're looking on the outward appearance, but let me tell you this, if you're of Christ, know this, I'm of Christ too. That's what matters. Let me say that again. That's everything. Remember, our image is that we are image bearers of God and so are you. Even more, we are redeemed by God and so are you. That's what matters. If God would give us the grace to live in a way that says the most important thing about me is that I'm made in the image of God and I'm redeemed by Jesus Christ and my love is, and my companions are those who are made in the image of God and are redeemed by Christ, and I want to think of myself and think of them in that way, we will be in a healthy place. Okay? For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority. He could say, well, I've got a lot of authority. I'm an apostle. I'm not going to do that, he says. he means a comparison, right? Which the Lord hath given us for Edification. And not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. That I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Again, he says, I am not going to get to this comparison game. I'm just not going to do it. I could boast of my authority in comparison to these guys and say, well, look, I don't talk that good, but I've got some authority. But I'm not going to do it. Because why do I have the authority? The authority has been given to me for your edification. Same for all of us. You have beauty or don't have beauty. Whatever you've been given, you've been given it's been given to you by God for edification of the whole. Know that. Drink that in. Okay. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Now, there are some that are full of themselves. They're commending themselves. But what are they basing that on? It's going to tell us they're commending themselves based upon their comparison to someone else they find more contemptible. It's, it's unhealthy. It's, and it's also not real. What's the real measure? The real measure is Christ. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure. Listen to this. But according to the measure, let me stop right there again. I know I'm stopping a lot. We're not going to boast ourselves or measure ourselves according to our measure. That's our own arbitrary measure that is either condemning of ourselves or, is, or, or promotes ourselves. We're not going to use our measure. But here's the measure we're going to use. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. I love that. Here's my measure. God has distributed to me the gifts that He has given me. And God has distributed to you the gifts that he has given you. So I'm going to live my life just trying to live out the gifts that God has given me and not in an unwise way wasting my life and and, and really uh, 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 getting my self-identity from some measure of what someone else is or what gifts that they have. Brothers and sisters, especially sisters, let me tell you, that is wisdom from above. That's wisdom from above that James says is pure and peaceable that 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 uh, that leads towards good fruits in your life without partiality, without hypocrisy, and any other measure will lead to conflict and to all kinds of other uh, evils that you will either experience yourself in your quest to measure up, or you will experience in your condemnation of another that God has not called you to condemn, but instead to love. And this goes f- much farther than beauty; it goes on. Things like all kinds of things, nutrition and schooling and how we raise our children and our preferences. It goes into all kinds of areas of life. Let me urge you, let me exhort you to not get caught in the trap of constant comparison. Yes, see others as resources from whom we can bless and edify and learn and grow, but not, not, not to measure yourself by another's standard, or who another is. so important, so important. I would just say this, moms, be careful. <laughs> your daughters are watching you, okay? Be careful, your daughters are watching you. Now, the third one, in terms of images, is this. It's very simple. I think it's, let me just say it. It is, it is this. It is, I am beautiful, and I love it. I am beautiful, and I love it. This is the person who's won the lottery, and you know it. Like the other categories, this would also set to fall into a self-obsessed category. You're proud of it. Appearance equals worth to you. So your thoughts towards others are, are haughty. You oftentimes use your beauty to get your way. You think far more of beauty relative to others than you do to beauty relative to God. And oftentimes, you can't be bothered to serve. Think little of service or how to make things beautiful. But again, your beauty is, your your external beauty is your badge of honor. Maybe you've seen people like that. I'm sure you have. But in all of these, in all three of these categories, I want you to take away, I want you to note how all of these destroy what we have built so far in this series on women. God has designed the female to be able to pour into relationships. God has designed the female to be a nurturing being who is bringing warmth and multiplying and growing as opposed to destroying. But, but, but friends, when Satan is successful at just having us focus on that which is seen either in a way that, can, that is self-condemning or in a way that is self-congratulating, it robs us of what God has designed us to be that which is truly beautiful. Now, let me move along real quickly, talk about this in terms of expression, the fall in beauty and expression. The first one is this. I'm going to go through some extremes here, of course. The first one is this, and that is the cloaking of beauty. The cloaking of beauty. This is, this is an expression about beauty that is not from God, the cloaking of female beauty. Is this the idea that, that female beauty is sinful? Or maybe you wouldn't quite go there. Female beauty leads to sin. This borrows from the Gnostics who saw that the material was evil, but the spiritual, that which is inside, that which is that it was not tangible, that is good, but the material is evil. Friends, we are Christians. We are Christians. We believe that um, the body has been fearfully and wonderfully made. That God made them male and female, and God did it on purpose. So there is nothing... Um, um, so so we, we, don't, we don't borrow from the, the the extreme Muslim idea that the only way to female righteousness is to cloak the female figure or the female being. That's not godly. That's not godly. Christians at times have unwittingly contributed to this idea just because of the, the reality of sexual sin and the desire for holiness, which is a good thing to be holy and to abstain from sexual sin. But at times have emphasized this so much that there's almost an atmosphere of guilt and shame with being female. And that's not godly. Christians are designed to give God praise for beauty, but Christians also are have this mindset. We do not emphasize the physical over the spiritual. Okay? We praise the Lord for beauty, both physical, but we also... Emphasize that which is spiritual, that which gives God praise. So I want you to—I might not going to talk a lot about that. I want you to think about that. Obviously, we're going to get to the next point. I'm not talking about exhibitionism, but we're also saying we're not—we're not—not going to build a an atmosphere of of guilt over being male or female. We're going to glory in what God has done. Now, the second the second uh, category, is, of course, is the opposite extreme, and that is the category of immodesty, immodesty. The word modest in 1 Timothy 2 is the same word used in 1 Timothy 3 about the preacher. And what it means is, is a good behavior. That which is, is, is becoming. That which is good and becoming and good behavior, well-ordered. So here's, here's the idea of, of modesty in, in the Scriptures. And here's what, it, here's, here's what we need to emphasize. Modesty means this. Modesty means that we do not seek to steal attention from what deserves attention. Okay? That's all of us. All of us. None of us, male or female, should seek to steal attention, to rob attention from that which deserves attention. So the passage in 1 Timothy 2 says this to, well, let's let's just turn to it. Turn, Turn to 1 Timothy 2. Verse 8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, that doesn't mean you're ashamed of your face, that means you're fearing God, and sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, But that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. A very similar passage you know in 1 Peter chapter 3 talking about the wife who is dealing with a difficult husband, and it says there, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is the sight of God of great price. Now let me, let me say a couple of things about these passages. Um, number one, the point of the passage, again, is this. Make sure that in every setting, the attention is going where the attention should go. That's that's what the passage means. Adorn yourself. Adorn yourself with godliness. 1 Peter 3, wife, you want your husband who's unbeliever to see God. If he can see God in you, God may turn his heart. But seeing God in you is much more powerful than you trying to figure out something physically that will manipulate him into going your way. The same way in the church, when we're in the worship He's saying we want the attention to go to the one who is worthy of attention. So the, the, the idea here in this passage is that of this really elaborate uh, setting, he's not saying if you wear braids to church, th- th- then you, you you've fallen, or if you've if you, if you are wearing pearls to church and you fall, he's saying you're dressing in this elaborate way that is meant to, to to pull attention away from God and away from others and make sure the attention and the spotlight is focused on you. That's not modest. Okay? It's not modest to draw attention away from where it should be, should be, should be uh, taken, and that is, of course, from God. So be careful with that passage. It's, again, it's, 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 um, it's not saying, I can take you through this for a long study, it's not saying that enhancing beauty is sinful. It's not saying that. In fact, we'll find in Psalm 45 and Isaiah 3 and other passages where God Clothes his bride with gold and with um, uh, 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 raw, um, vestments and with myrrh and with uh, spices and and this is the work of God, Song of Solomon, where there is work at enhancing uh, beauty. That's, he's not saying it's wrong to do that. So so plain isn't godliness. Neither is neither is. And an effort to pull attention away through um, elaborate ornamentation. Okay? Now, let me say this. We live in a very, very, very immodest culture. It's a very strange time in, 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 our, in our time. Here's what our culture is saying to us simultaneously right now in regards to, to females our culture is saying to females, flaunt your body. It just is. Show it. At the very same time, the culture is both saying, look at me, and how dare you look at me. That's that's an impossible thing, isn't it? And so, girls, I'm begging you to not take your cues from the culture on either side. Don't take your cues from the culture that says it is fine. For you, the most important for you is female empowerment and expression. So show everything you have. Please don't listen to that lie. It's a lie. And by the way, oftentimes, I-, I think it is a lie that is, followed, uh, that, that is succumbed to under duress. I don't think truly at the root anybody wants to do that. We're all... Hopefully, aware of how flawed we are. And yet, the culture is screaming at you show, 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 reveal, reveal, reveal. At the same time, the culture is saying, and be as angry about it as you possibly can be. The culture wants to divide, Satan loves to divide. Satan wants to destroy. He will destroy you either by you giving yourself away or he will destroy you through division between the sexes. But a very, very, very immodest culture is the norm. So let me just say this, may may this be clear, because this even invades uh, Christian conversation in a very confusing and unhelpful way. Let me just say this very, very clearly. Men, we are fully... Responsible for every single sin of lust. Okay? Period. And, women, you are fully responsible for every single sin of of immodesty. Both work together. Okay? They're not enemies. It's not their fault when we sin. And it is their fault when they sin. Okay? I hope that's clear. Let me just say this. In, in, this is an important subject in our day. And let me tell you how this subject should, should best be handled. This subject, the Bible, praise the Lord, the Bible gives, um, gives us wisdom to live by and, every, and, and even how to, how to address. So this subject is best handled not to be screamed from the pulpit by creating uh, standards that I think are good standards but the Bible hasn't given. This, 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 this fix or this, this, this issue is best handled, number one, in the home, where God has given responsibility to uh, fathers, husbands, mothers to walk with wisdom towards their families in a way that, that would honor and serve God. And God places that responsibility firmly on us. Secondly, God has also given the wonderful and beautiful benefit of the church. And so passages like Titus 2 are very, very, very important on subjects like these. Where, not in condemnation, but in love and in tenderness... God can give those who are more experienced and have lived more life relationships with those who have not lived as, as long and may be more naive to be able to live life together with wisdom being shared and wisdom being received in a way that honors God and blesses those who are trying to live and figure out this culture. And so may our church be full of that. May our church, may may we not uh, have our, to to me as a husband, as a father, not have our heads in the sands, but to be able to live in a loving, also a wise way in our homes, and may this be happening in our churches in real relationships where older women and younger women are interacting. (laughs) If you'll do that in love and in kindness and in grace, God can, God will honor that in a way that is, uh, that is, uh, that will cause us to thrive in a very dark age. Okay? Last category of this. I'll just call this the unholy wielding of beauty. Maybe manipulation as a, as a category here. The unholy wielding of beauty. So using external beauty, expressing external beauty in a way that achieves a goal that is not holy. Using external beauty not for good, and not in a way to honor God, but in a way that gets a deeper end. Proverbs 6 describes this, and Proverbs 6 is is warning the young man about this wielding of beauty by females. Proverbs 6, verse 23. Listen to this. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman. There is an evil woman from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. So using her tongue not for grace but for flattery. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. So, again, it is the wielding of beauty to achieve an end. It's a manipulation. God has not given beauty for that end. The current age has proven the unmitigated disaster of sexual promiscuity. Disaster. We see it in all, in every. In in every sphere of social life, we see um, uh, the reality of of, of single uh, of homes that are not not whole, filled with with two parents of 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 birth that comes far beyond far before birth should come. Of all kinds of of issues, our culture has proven this is a disaster. Please, 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 uh, heed the wisdom of God and understand that the expression of beauty to achieve deeper ends through manipulation or through um, just just through uh, sexual promiscuity is is not how God has designed. Let's close this way. This is really important. You've alluded to it several times. We try to come back to the gospel every single time. The gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer, the Goel, the one who comes between God and man and makes man whole. Friends, the story of the gospel is a beautification story. It just is. It's redemption. The whole idea of redemption is something has gone terribly wrong and it's being healed, is being made right. That which is, has been broken is being reconciled. That which is in disharmony is being made harmonious. That which is, is ugly is being made beautiful. Let me just say four things very quickly. The first one is this. Know this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts at the very beginning. Know this. This this must be deeply imprinted into your minds, young girls and and, and all of us. But know this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that my soul knoweth right well. No matter what your mind tells you. No matter what you're you're, you're tempted to do in comparison. Know this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by an all-wise God who knew what He was doing when He fashioned you, whose thoughts towards you were so incredibly numerous that the sand on the sea can't number them as you were being fashioned in the womb. But number two, know this. In fact, I hope you know this. Because this is only true to those who are in Jesus Christ. But here's what it says in Colossians chapter 2. It says in this in verse 10, and ye are complete in him. I wish I had time to go through this passage. I don't. This is incredibly important to understand. No matter how wrong you think you are, ugly, discombobulated, whatever, it's far worse. It's far worse than you can even understand about yourself. Because not only is your external not, not enough, your internal is full of offense toward God. But God in His mercy sent His only begotten beautiful Son to be marred and broken and disfigured to have His form so undone that He was unrecognizable and Disgusting. That's the truth of the cross. It's ugly. So that you would be made the righteousness of God in Him. So the whole message of Colossians 2 is this. All the fullness for all your emptiness is found in Jesus so that you are completely complete. That's what it means. It is uh, repletely replete fully filled this is true you are fully filled in Jesus because the handwriting of ordinances that was against you was blotted out beautification completely blotted out by his work on the cross so that you are whole and complete and are as beautiful as Jesus before the Father's gaze. Is that incredible? You are as beautiful as Jesus is beautiful to the Father before the Father's gaze if you are in Christ. So Colossians he would go on to say, so therefore he would say, don't get tricked. Don't get tricked by thinking I can starve myself, literally asceticism. I can, I can get really, really spiritual and, start, and, and know, know a lot about Angels. Or I can do any other trick, eyebrow threading or, 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 or protractor stretching or whatever. I can do any other trick to be more complete than I am complete right now in Jesus Christ. You have to have that as a foundation for, your, for, for how, you, how you view yourself. So therefore, I can exercise and enjoy it. Or I can, here's another one, I, 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 can, I can receive the changes of the body that come through bearing children and not resent it, or I can become wrinkled and aged and still be fully and maybe even more beautiful, because Christ is in me, that has to be at the root of how we think. Thirdly, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit that means that Jesus, that the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell within you. You may not be very pleased with yourself, but the Spirit is pleased enough to dwell within you. And that is meant to free your life and free your thinking to go pursue godliness, to go pursue service, to, be un, uh, uh, to, to, to have the, the fetters loosed where you can go live and serve with joy even if... <laughs> I, 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 and jump out of the, the, the pot of those who are comparing themselves with themselves, and finding nothing but folly. And then finally, know this: know this. This has got this is this has got to be at the in the in the forefront of the thoughts of every Christian male and female. The great beautification work is happening. It's called sanctification. You see, it starts in the garden. In the garden, there was this beauty that turned to shame, right? Beauty turned to hiding. But then the one, and I love how Jesus is described in Isaiah. He says he has no form of comeliness. He's a root out of a dry ground. That's not a picture of beauty, is it? he's a tender plant. You just blow him away with the wind. There's no form. There's no beauty about him. But friends, this one who has no beauty about him becomes the beautiful king that we see in all his beauty. And so his great work of sanctification is to take you in your brokenness and not just make you justified right before the Father, but it's to work this work of grace in your life, drawing you away from the lies of Satan and drawing you towards the truth of God and making you more and more useful in his service and he's doing this and eventually friends here's what it says eventually there's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb and you will be there and you will be clothed with the clothing that he has made for you and it's going to be beautiful white in robes of righteousness and we're going to be joined with him and there's going to be no more sorrow and no more crying so even if I am not If if I'm not what I want to be, I know there's a greater work happening. It's the work of Jesus in my life to bring me before the Father, and he will stand before me in love, and the king shall greatly, Psalm 45, the king shall greatly desire thy beauty. May God bless us to see beauty in the way the Bible would have us to see beauty, in true wisdom and in true honor. Oh, friends, if we could grab a hold of this, you guys know it how much bondage could be unleashed, right? How many, how many, I'll I'll stop right there. May God bless us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love to us and for the wisdom of your word and for Jesus Christ, who is the fairest of all and who, Lord, is working in our lives to make us fair in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.